Can you hear me pretty well? Mm-hmm. Can you hear me? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, you guys, here we go. Conversation number two, episode number four. Uh, today we have a conversation with Leilani Gomez. I've known Leilani via Instagram for years now, and we met in person in early 2017. Following her story and her experiences via Instagram has been super inspiring and pivotal for me. I'm super excited for you guys to hear this episode, and I hope that you can appreciate what she has to say. Word to the wise, around an hour, we had some technical difficulties and had to switch up the audio a little bit, so don't let it throw you off too much. Anyway, here she is. Set idea for like what I want you to say or how I want this. I just want you to be able to like say what you need to say, you know? <laughs> okay. All right. Um, okay, well, so my name is Leilani. I was born in Mexico and I moved to the United States when I was four years old. I was raised Catholic, but we didn't really attend church after a certain point in time. Um, When I was around 10 years old, we moved to the place where I'm currently living in Central Valley, California, and we just completely stopped going to church then. I think around that time, around like middle school, I started to try to figure out what I believed about God. Um, A lot of my friends and peers, or like my classmates, were either Mexican or Filipino, and they all attended like the same Catholic church. And I was kind of not in their little in-group. So I always questioned what it is that I even believed. So that kind of sparked something in me where I, in my mind, I knew I needed to figure out something in regards to my spirituality at some point in my life. So that kind of led me toward a path of questioning for a long time. And there's a lot of different things that led me to the church, but I don't think those things really super matter. It's just super complicated. But ultimately, I kind of started looking up a lot of different Christian faiths. And I ran into some Tumblr blogs from like just young adults. And some of them might have even been teenagers that were converting to the LDS church. And that was really interesting to me because it wasn't... It wasn't the experience that I had seen, you know, in the past. Like my idea of Mormons was kind of just very nice white people. (laughs) (laughs) These like just young converts of all different backgrounds. It was cool. I thought that was really interesting. And I started kind of like following them and not really interacting or anything. But I was also following a lot of different um, uh, Christian blogs from other faiths or other denominations and there's a lot of like fighting between the two groups there's a lot of like anti-mormon and all the like mormon people were you know defending themselves so interestingly enough i like i came into mormonism really skeptical and i really thought i was just like exploring different faiths i wasn't like super into the idea of joining i just liked the idea of it i guess And then I guess, I don't know, I think eventually I ended up befriending a lot of those like Mormon converts and they kind of convinced me to talk to the missionaries. It took me a really long time to actually get to talking to the missionaries because I was very shy and sheltered and Mm. I just didn't want anything to do with people in real life. (laughs) Um, But eventually I was like, okay, I'll, I'll try and I contacted missionaries from a Spanish-speaking ward. 
That was really important to me because I really wanted to make sure, well, first of all, I really wanted to reconnect with my first language. Um, growing up, I pretty much always spoke Spanish at home, but with my sisters, especially as um, my little sister grew up, we primarily spoke English with uh, among ourselves. And I grew up reading a lot in Spanish and my mom would make sure to, you know, make sure that I learned the correct terminology for things. But I don't know, I felt at some point that I was like, okay, I'm kind of losing my ability to like read in Spanish and things like that. So I needed to pick up on that. So that was important to me, kind of learning Spanish within this new context. Um, and also I really did, I didn't want to deal with the potential microaggressions of being a brown girl within a congregation of predominantly white people. Mm -hmm. And I don't think I thought about it that directly in my head at the time, but it was definitely something that I was very aware of. I think, I don't know, growing up, you always are aware that you are different from other people when you're a black or brown person. And I can only speak to my experience as like a little Mexican girl, but I definitely always felt intimidated by white people. I always felt like, oh, either I am inferior to them or they think I'm inferior to them. And that's mm -hmm. just kind of bizarre. And I didn't really question it. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like evil or dark, you know what I mean? But yeah. it was just this like feeling of like overwhelmingly being intimidated <laughs> if I was around like large amounts of white people. And also like my like my experience growing up, I did receive a lot of like racist, I don't know. Some of them were microaggressions, but a lot of them were not in middle school. I I don't know, I guess it was just the age or something, but kids were really mean and I include myself in that cuz I know I was mean to other kids also, but I think a lot of it was just like self-defense. You kind of learn to just fight back, but kids would call me like a wetback and <laughs> a beaner like I don't know 2000 like 2005 2008 was like a very like racist year for teenagers <laughs> I don't know if it's changed at all but during that time I just feel like maybe there was something about like tv or something people were just mean and they would say things like that and I was friends with these three girls. Since then, we've talked about these things again, and they've apologized for their racist remarks. But I was like friends with them because they were into the same kind of music that I was. But they were, they were always alienating me because I was the only Mexican girl and they were all white. And it was always like just saying the rudest things that like I don't even want to repeat. Oh. <laughs> it's so much stuff. It was a lot of that, but also a lot of like, even the Mexican kids that I was friends with, there was a lot of self-hatred too, I feel like. And a lot of those kids, even them, they were pretty white passing. So even then, I still felt like I didn't even belong in their group. And then also the fact that I'm not a citizen in this country, it, I started to understand what that meant for me. And like, it was just this really tumultuous time in my head where I was like I really started to take in everything that was said about me and just really internalize it into who I was and I think that's kind of where I started to limit myself a lot where I thought well regardless of how what I do I, I don't have much of a future here anyways mm -hmm. um, because the 
path to citizenship is basically non-existent for most people. Yeah. Anyway, we'll kind of touch on that later on in, in this. But yeah, it was really important for me not to be submerged um, in a congregation with too many white people because I knew that was going to be intimidating and scary. And I really just felt like if there's an option of being with people of my same background, my same culture, then I would prefer that. And yeah, so eventually I started taking like the missionary discussions. I don't know if they're called that anymore. <laughs> changed it at some point. <laughs> but um, that was interesting because the missionaries that I had, they were elders and they were pretty accepting of all of the ideas that I had bringing to them from like the internet. And just, I was always questioning or like, I always just had all of these, all this, this like anti-Mormon propaganda, like bringing it up to them and like making sure that they knew how to answer those questions. <laughs> uh, I don't think I was like trying to test them, but like I was just genuinely curious what they had to say, you know. And eventually I just really, I think I just really latched onto the community aspect of the church. Uh, again, to that point, I didn't really have like, I never really felt like I fit in, even with my friends. We didn't, I didn't really have like a friend group that I can latch onto. And at home, I don't know if this is the experience for everyone, but I just feel like Mexican parents can be very sheltering of their, especially their daughters. And so I just wasn't really allowed to go places. <laughs> yeah, so I just, my whole like life story, I'm always like, well, I'm just sheltered. I just don't know things that I'm sheltered. And like part, partly, you know, it's true. So I really latched on to the, the just the, the prospect of having a community of some sort. And when I started attending church or getting to know the members, I was like, this is cool because there's Mexicans here, there's Salvadorians, there's Peruvians, there's people from all over and they all speak my language and they all know kind of where I'm coming from. And I just felt comfortable. It felt really homey and it felt like a second family. I think if I had, if that wasn't an option, if there wasn't like different words for different languages or like demographics of people I think I don't I try to think and I don't think I would I don't think I would have joined the church either at all or as readily hmm. I think I would have it would have taken me a little bit more time to feel comfortable at least um, I did attend uh, like an English board like once or twice but I just I didn't feel the same at all so I don't know I think there was I didn't realize all of that and as it was happening, as much as I realized it after the fact, hmm. and especially in like learning, I guess just learning the experience of um, people of color in the church and a lot of the really awful things that they have to live through and kind of keep quiet about because, I don't know, like preserving the church of the image is more important in some cases, you know, quote unquote, well, not that it actually is, but that's just kind of like the feeling. It made me really grateful that I didn't have to experience too much of that because I did kind of shield myself from it from the start. Like even when we had like state conferences or just any opportunity to 
to be with all the other wards, I kind of just kept to my own. And I always latched on to the missionaries because they were like closer to my age, but not like adults, but not like the teens. <laughs> um, so I joined when I was like 17. So just to give like context. But yeah, I think that's really telling that I, you know, I didn't, I didn't get to experience that and I'm grateful for it. But it also really hurts to think about what it would have been like if I hadn't had the shield of the Latino ward, you know, mm-hmm. I think that was really, I think that really formed my experience. And I don't think I would have had the same experience at all outside of that. So I'm no longer a member. <laughs> uh, I was in the church for about five years from 2012 to about 2017. I don't know how how important it is to go through my whole experience, but having left the church and in more recent years, like speaking up about different injustices in the church and the treatment of people who don't fit the mold, I've come to realize that I question because of the, the things that members that are you know, people that are still in the church say to me, I tend to question how much faith I had, but... How do you mean? Well, well, it's just that whole experience of if you leave the church, you must have not had enough faith or you must have not tried hard enough. You must have not prayed or read the scriptures enough. And I was just thinking about it the other day and like, I saw myself as like the most faithful person of my age in my congregation that I knew <laughs> like you know having joined the church and everybody was like I don't know maybe it was partly that I was just like a young person joining the church and had having a really strong testimony I did a lot of missionary work I was always like any any chance I got I was giving my testimony in church even though I was really shy like I really I was propelled by my faith to really step out of my shell so I forget about that post like leaving the church because I think in my mind I question whether it even happened um it's really hard for me now to like get back to that mindset of what I had when I was in the church I don't necessarily know where I'm going with that but I just just because I was thinking the other day like was I really like converted, like truly converted? And that's something that I'm still kind of exploring because leaving the church, I had to almost like shut down because it was so hard. So I've just kind of forgotten what it felt like being in the church and having so much faith. And well, I'm like, I mean, this is just me, you know, kind of from having heard what you, what we talked about last time. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounded like your life was kind of like in the middle of this like church donut, like you were, you know, in the middle of the hole. Cause yeah. like, I don't know, you talked a lot about how, like how often you were reading the scriptures, like a lot, like more than I ever have in my life probably. Yeah. But yeah. I don't, yeah, but I think that that's, a, that's, um, yeah. an interesting thing that you bring up that we, within the, the active church membership, there tends to be this idea that people only leave because they weren't trying hard enough or they didn't try to believe, or they weren't, like you said, doing A, B, and C to like sustain themselves in that mm-hmm. faith. But I don't know from what it sounds like you were doing all of those things and like more. Yeah. 
So I guess I guess where I was going with that is like everything that I do, everything that I do now in questioning the church and kind of trying to like dismantle all of the really toxic culture of the church. People attribute it to like bitterness, <laughs> that you're just bitter, want to just leave it alone kind of thing. But um, a lot of the a lot of my church friends are the people that have kind of stuck around. A lot of them are really grateful because there are a lot of the things that I bring up they haven't even thought about either because they that was me <laughs> yeah <laughs> even, even, even like a lot of my white church friends they're like you know I I'm like listening to what a lot of people are saying and I'm realizing that like I do have white privilege and in the church it's especially highlighted in a way because we're on yeah. this little tiny bubble and I don't know I guess I just I, I want to touch a little bit on my church experience because I think it's important for anything that I do outside the church to note that like I didn't I didn't want to lose my testimony or my faith. I was very, very dedicated and I saw my life projected as, you know, living a full a full life within the church. I really truly believed in the restoration and Jesus Christ. Like I had a lot of very strong spiritual uh, spiritual experiences in prayer and asking if these things were true. And I, I genuinely felt like it was the thing that made the most sense in my life. And so, yeah, I, I like submerged myself in this church environment. And that was pretty much all I did and lived and breathed for those, not the full five years, but definitely for the majority of that time. And I guess I, I talked to you a little bit about how I went on a mini mission at some point. There was a lot that kind of led me to that. Um, a lot of it did have to do, um, I wanted to go on a full-time mission, but I couldn't for a lot of different difficult reasons that I don't necessarily need to get into. But part of it was mental health. And so going on a mini mission really exacerbated all the issues that I think I had successfully suppressed with with just this like excitement that I had over the gospel. And I think maybe it was just the stressful environment of being on like on a mission experience or something. Um, I got really depressed and I had some of the like the darkest moments of my life. And it wasn't until I, after I came out of that mini mission, which was a month long that I gave myself, I guess, permission to think about the dark things that were happening in my, like in my heart and in my mind. And I kind of just, it was like one day I just woke up and I couldn't like feel the spirit or feel God, feel God in my life. It wasn't super, maybe it wasn't as drastic as that, but that's kind of what it felt like at some point. I was like, wait a minute, like I don't feel any of these things anymore. And I was wondering why. So I don't know. I think looking back, I think I was so excited about the church and I was so excited about living this like happy, peaceful life that I was seeing all around me and all the church members. And then talking about difficulties, there was always a bright side. There was always some nice, beautiful way to explain it all, all the difficulties. And then I realized for me, like nothing was, there was no, there was no answer. There was nothing being resolved as much as I tried. So again, this is all like things that I'm realizing after the fact. But at the time, mm -hmm. it was really hard to realize that 
my faith wasn't enough to carry me through those difficulties, mm. so to speak. Obviously, there's a lot to kind of figure out in that. But yeah, I think in the present, that brings me to the kind of church culture that exists of, you know, toxic positivity and not allowing people to have difficulties and that's just it like there isn't there doesn't always have to be some like happy ending or like a bright side to everything something they're just difficult and you just kind of have to be in that and for me I definitely take responsibility for my own experience because I did force myself a lot while I was active in the church and I really did strive to be like the most perfect member that I could be and a lot of that was just me like being misguided maybe and not totally understanding I, how I think that's like it is. I kind of easy to do though like it's not I don't know just kind of as you were saying that I remember this experience that I had where it was just after well maybe not just I don't know time but it was not too long after Ansel had died and I was in, sitting in Relief Society, um, and they were giving a lesson about happiness and how, like, how we need to choose happiness and how we need to create happiness for ourselves and how we shouldn't feel sorry for ourselves and that kind of thing. And I remember just kind of sitting there and being like, I don't want to be happy right now. Like, I just don't want to. It's not something that feels authentic to me. And... I think about it now and I am like sad because I felt really guilty for like not being happy or not wanting to be happy. Yeah, I don't know. I just think that's like one example of how how in the past I've had this very closed interpretation of the way that we do things. And sometimes I think that the lessons that we get in church are kind of a closed interpretation of those things. Like we don't touch enough on yeah, things will be hard and there's not always a bright side to things. Mm -hmm. Like you don't always get to turn over the penny and see, you know, it all shiny or whatever. It just, yeah. sometimes things just suck and there's not a good reason for it. Yeah. I guess I haven't questioned whether those are that kind of mindset, like that the kind of like narrow-minded mindset is something that I like learned over time or I just always... I always assume that that's just how I am. Like I'm kind of a perfectionist. And so I always attributed my experience or like my difficulties in the church to my perfectionism that I felt like I needed to really exert myself or overexert myself in a lot of areas. But I guess, yeah, maybe I have this like hard time balancing how much of like the psychological pressure that the church puts on members affects their experience versus just how people are in general, like just normally. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that it's like fair for you to say that that's maybe what you would have been inclined to do anyway. But I do think that mm, the church and the culture and kind of the way things get interpreted and repeated a lot of the time is perpetuating that sort of perfectionist mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, which is funny because over and over again, we're like, we're not perfect. We'll never be perfect, but you better try your hardest. Otherwise, <laughs> like, get out. Yeah. And then you said to like, when you said that you felt like you had to choose happiness, mm -hmm. like to me that that's such a like painful thing to think about. 
with choosing happiness, maybe because I've always struggled with depression. And I've like, to me, that's choosing happiness for many days of the week are not totally possible. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, I guess like in the church, a lot of the weight of your spiritual experience falls on you Mm -hmm. and like on the person. And like, in some ways that makes sense because obviously you have to live the way that you want to experience God or experience spirituality. But yeah, I feel like there's just a lot of contradicting messages there. And yeah, just as you were saying that, I was thinking like, yes, of course, like spirituality is a super personal thing and it should be on a very personal basis. But a lot of the time, the way that we go about things in church is very external. It's about what other people are going to see in us kind of thing or how we can show that we are spiritual yeah. or like good and it's not I feel like a lot of the time it's something that I thought about over the last little bit is like how often are we actually like spiritually and emotionally and kind of mentally disconnected from the things that we're supposed to be doing to nurture our spirituality yeah that's true I guess because maybe a lot of our energy ends up going to like the look of being a good member even just like going to church you have to mm-hmm. dress a certain way and if you slightly deviate from that there's always a little bit of judgment whether it's or not going on yeah I guess um I guess I'm I'm still writing my experience in my own head and still thinking about it and like trying to pick out all the things I still need to learn from it Mm -hmm. the way in which the church experiences or wants people to experience the gospel of Jesus Christ just didn't fit with me. And it, was ex- it became extremely hard to keep up. Um, I don't know. Today, I don't totally believe in God anymore, I don't think. Um, it's still something that I'm like, not super, I'm, I don't have an urgency to figure that out at the moment. But I just wonder if I had been able to retain my faith in God had it not been for just the intensity of my experience within the church. Mm. I don't know. I guess I'll figure that out at some point. But I do think it's really, I think I have read or seen the sentiment of like the church kind of ex, like kind of ruins God for some people. I mean, I think it is because there is such a rigid view of what it is like to live a life that will lead you to God. Mm-hmm. And yeah, it's just crazy to me that there's so little variety in the type of life you can live that makes you quote unquote worthy enough to be with God one day. <laughs> yeah, I think that it's like God's there for us regardless. And I know that, uh, I don't know, in the church, it's about, yeah, you do A, B, and C in order to get here. But um, I think that's one thing that... Um, doesn't get focused on a lot and is very interesting to me that you know we're working super hard to get to like the tippy top level of the celestial kingdom so that we're we're the cool guys you know but there's not a lot of I don't know and not that it's bad to want to like try for the best but also it's 
I don't know. Everyone is different. And I feel like there has been a lot of that I've learned. I feel like they're always teaching us that, yeah, you know, even after the resurrection, how even after everyone has the fullness of the knowledge, there are still people who are not going to want to accept that. They're going to choose something different. Mm. So I don't know. It's this complicated thing. Like when I have talked to my family about that, like I'm just like, if we know that that's that that's going to be the reality that that is what will happen that there will be people who choose not to do it even knowing you know that you know why do we why is our push for missionary work so hard and like why you know every member of missionary like talk to everybody about it always and my dad's always like well to give everybody the opportunity and I'm like okay that's fair I guess but then why demonize people who choose not to do that even after they're given the opportunity like yeah 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 when you said that last speaking like saying it again now like it just fits right in my brain where it needs to fit like that's probably one of the things that I think is so hard for members to grasp because in their mind like but why wouldn't you know why wouldn't you want the fullness of Mm -hmm. God or the fullness of happiness and that's where I question, like, how much are we, how much are, do we really believe in, like, you know, free will at that point? Because there's so much, like, there's so much pressure. Even when you are a member, like, of course, you should want all of these things. Of course, you should want to accept every calling. Of course, you should want to be, like, I don't know. Yeah, there's, I don't think, I'm trying to, like, think about this in terms of somebody who's very you know, like active member of the church. I don't know how to get that across because I genuinely think in order to like really thrive in the church, you kind of have to live or you have to like put yourself in a little bit of a bubble to protect yourself Mm -hmm. kind of from the outside world or I don't know, the worldliness of everything. But that at the same time doesn't allow you to just see other options or other other lives I don't know I think yeah it wasn't until like I guess I really started in doing missionary work even um at some point I was like a ward missionary and even then I was always just looking to spend time with missionaries and learn um the gospel and like go teach with them there are people that would tell us like no I'm not interested like I like my current religion like I'm really happy and it was always just like when we would leave or like in our, in our heads or like, uh, yeah, just afterward in a conversation, it was always like, that's what you think. But you're not really happy. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> oh, like, no. oh no. like, yeah, I'm sure they are happy in their current life, but they could be happier if they join the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. <laughs> and it's always like, I, I think maybe those things like slowly built up inside me where I was like, wait a minute, like, we have so little respect for other people and their boundaries and their experience and what they feel is right for them. But even within their church, we do the same thing to members. And it's always like, I don't know, but it's so dark. (laughs) Yeah. I wish there was more room in the church as it is now for an individual approach because in, I don't know, in my mind, the only thing I can compare it to is if you're sad and I'm sad, I'm going to do different things to make myself feel better 
Like, I'm like, oh, I'm going to go grab myself some mochi or something. That will make me feel better. Like, that will make me happy. And, like, maybe that would make you feel better, but maybe it wouldn't. Like, that's, if like, thinking about it in the context of, like, we're all so different. We all have such vastly different experiences and feelings about everything that to think that there is this extremely structured way that it's like, well, this is one size fits all. I'm like, it's not Mm -hmm. though. And I think that we know that somewhere, but also are not willing to like give into it. Like, no, you have to do it the way that I said to do it because someone somewhere (laughs) said this is the way to do it. Yeah, I think um, in kind of coming out of my church experience and then more recent years, I've, I have been people around me um, we are starting to become more aware just of the experiences of different people, whether it's your gender identity or whether you're able-bodied or not, mm-hmm. learning and really accepting the whole concept of white privilege. Like even as a non-white person, I always gave, you know, white privilege the benefit of the doubt (laughs) growing up and really internalizing all of these things, I think has made me even more angry (laughs) that the church wants to like put everyone in a little box. Like I knew that coming out of the church, but then in more recent years and like really like radically changing my point of view and questioning even just the more the most basic things that I had accepted. It always brings me back to that, not because I'm like bitter at the church or whatever it may be, because again, my experience, like I'm, for the most part, I've grieved it. Now I'm just kind of processing still, but I'm, you know, my experience is just my own thing. But looking back, I really, I really ache for the people within the church that are still in that struggle. And I think that's the part mm-hmm. that makes me the most, like that pushes me the most to use my own experience, but also just my own perspective and coloring that a little bit more and just making sure that the few friends or people that are still connected to me that are in the church can see that because I don't think I never heard it when I was in the church. Like no, nobody was questioning or talking about these specific things if people were questioning it was always about theology it was always about doctrine right and so I really think at the very least members of the church need to be exposed to different points of view and I think boundaries (laughs) (laughs) and like a true understanding of what it means to have the agency (laughs) <laughs> and not just within the context of the church or the gospel. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard though. Like I like reading the stuff that you would like put in your stories. You were like a huge catalyst for me to kind of take a step back and look outside of the things like you said that I had just accepted to be true. Like this is just how it is and there's not really anything I can do mm-hmm. about that. Specifically, I'm just going to call myself out here that you had been talking. It was like two-ish <laughs> years ago that it was right around the, the the spring general conference time. And just before conference started, the church kind of made this statement about repealing their policy 
of keeping children from LGBTQ plus parents, keeping them from being able to get baptized until mm-hmm. they're 18. They got yeah. rid of that. Yeah. And that you were talking about it saying that, yeah, it's a good thing that that's not a policy anymore, but the fact that they haven't addressed that it was wrong and why it was wrong and apologize to the people it hurt is messed up and people in the church need to call for their accountability in that. And I remember kind of thinking like, okay, yeah, but also it's not their fault if God just told them a different (laughs) thing, you know, which now I'm like, (laughs) ew. (laughs) But I don't know that there were a couple of things that you had said that just like really kind of got me heated. And I was like, oh my gosh, Leilani hates me. She thinks I'm an (laughs) idiot. And I messaged you and I was like, bro, this is not okay. You cannot say this stuff. Like not every, not every member of the church. Yeah. Like I was like, (laughs) getting wild. It took a minute after that kind of processing that, that I don't know, it was probably like a year or more after that, that I like, sent you those messages and like apologized because I'm like wow that was like so cringe of me (laughs) because and like I know how that must have felt to you now because people do it to me all the time anytime I bring anything up that like what what are you saying and I'm just like wow that's so annoying and I was so sorry that I was that person you weren't the one and I think at the time I was like you know I I pretty much always question myself I'm always second guessing and I was like, like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't say inflammatory things or <laughs> some hurting people. But then I was like, like, I'm sorry, but I really have a hard time understanding how this is more important than what I'm actually talking about. I don't think I said that to you, but mm-hmm. as time went on and like any time that I would post anything of that nature and people would message me with pretty much essentially the same thing, almost verbatim. That you're attacking my church, therefore you're attacking me. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, like I need to, and to this day, I'm still trying to figure out how to like balance, you know, respecting that some people genuinely fit in this church and some people genuinely thrive having faith in this particular gospel or doctrine, mm-hmm. but also not letting that guilt me into not wanting essentially this institution to be accountable for all the damage it's done. Right. And when I say the church, I mostly mean leadership. Mm-hmm. Members, for the most part, I feel just kind of do what leadership says to do. And I think part of the conversations that I end up seeing a lot, it's always, well, you know, the church is perfect. God is perfect. This is his church. But, you know, people aren't perfect. So sometimes people will do or say the wrong things. And in my head, I'm going, that's kind of true. But this isn't just people. These are church leaders that I know are seeing these things and are not in some way helping the people that are hurting the most. I think that... Like, yes, I understand what you're saying, but I also think that the leaders of the church, as much as anyone else in the church, are just people. And it's not necessarily about, like, yes, people make mistakes and people are going to make mistakes and they are also people. They are also fallible. But I don't know, like the problem in that for me is that to say that is kind of excusing 
the mistakes and the lack of accountability. Like, I'm not saying they're not allowed to make mistakes, but be accountable for it. Say something about it. Apologize. Don't, don't just like brush it under a rug and well, we don't do that anymore. So we'll say we don't do that anymore, but we're not saying anything else beyond Mm -hmm. that mistakes were made kind of you know like I think like not I don't know the biggest thing for me ends up being putting my own feelings about the church aside assuming that the church leadership they genuinely you know may genuinely feel like they're doing the right thing or that you know the policies that they put in place are for the good of the church membership. You know, I don't think, I think I said this last time, like, I don't think it's a big evil conspiracy. I don't, I think these people genuinely believe that they are, that they are having this communication with God about how to lead the church. But I just, I just can't excuse all the pain that people go through when their own community and their own church won't accept them and who they are specifically talking about lgbtq plus issues like Mm. i don't know i guess i I guess i still have a lot of feelings to work through in that um but when i talk about those things it's always just a, a matter of like members of the church you can talk to your leaders the more that we make it known that these this is uncomfortable the more that leader uh members of the church like it, it, it should be that way, right? Because this, this isn't like church leaders are just the voice of God. They're not dictators, <laughs> like. Right. But I think for me, it always falls back down to there's always this kind of protectiveness that members get with the church. I know that they're just trying to protect what they believe is sacred. But I think there needs to be a very like radical cha- shift in that mindset if members of the church genuinely care about protecting its own, the members that are hurting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. No, and I, I understand what you're saying. And I think that kind of hearkening back to what you said before that, yeah, there are people who just fit within the church. Like there's no issue about it to them. And I don't doubt that that's true, but it also like sucks because I think that there's so much in it that hurts people. And I don't mean in like the gospel, I mean, in the policies and sometimes what we've adopted as doctrine is harmful. And right. I think if you, if you have zero issues with the church, that's your privilege. And that's, that's kind of why I feel (laughs) more and more often that white supremacy and a lot of this ugly church culture and and privilege within the church they go hand in hand because they're they're very similar where people don't want to look at their their white privilege because they think well i don't know like i'm not bad or i haven't done these things to hurt people and i don't think that people who feel like they fit very squarely into the church mm-hmm. are doing that to hurt people but also be aware of the fact that like, yes, the church works in this specific perfect way for you. But think about the fact that the church is full of vastly varied and different people from different experiences that we can't all fit in that square that the church wants and the, or that it, that 
that the church is um, perpetuating right now. I think that there's room for, mm-hmm. for variance, for differences. And I think that where people get caught up is that like, well, if I can follow the line a hundred percent straight from point A to point mm-hmm. B, why can't everybody else do that? And that's not, that's not a good question. Ask a different question. Yeah. When you mentioned like privilege within the church to thrive within the church and how that's totally linked with white supremacy, I think that's, that's kind of what I have been exploring in my head, how really the church is this little, like it's this little model for how the world at large works. Hmm. And I think it should be exciting for members to want to create change and acceptance and openness within this little world that they have, you know, because creating change in the world is so complex, you know, politically. And there's so many barriers that I feel like shouldn't exist in God's church. (laughs) Or, you know, again, putting my Mm -hmm. own thoughts aside, assuming that this is God's church. I don't find it surprising at all, but I wish that it was exciting for members to be like, hey, you know what? We should ask God to give us knowledge about these specific things that are happening right now. And I feel like what you said that a lot of times members get so defensive because their faith is so personal and so emotional that it's immediately like, again, like an attack on your identity because you've made the church your whole identity. And instead of being able to see past that, I feel like a lot of members get kind of stuck in that. And I don't know if it's because being a member of the church is like a full-time job, just doing all the things that you have to do that, you know, a lot of members don't really have like the mind space to explore anything different. Mm. Yeah. I guess I'm just trying not to generalize. (laughs) I'm trying to stop myself. I think that's an important thing though to say is that, because I've had, I've had similar thoughts where it's like, oh my gosh, like, I don't know, like pre-COVID a lot of the time I was like, I don't really want to go to church because I feel like there's so many other things that I need to do and have to do. And like, it just takes up so much time. And then to have to do my own personal spiritual work on top of that is like, oh my gosh, I, I have a child, I have a home, I have a relationship, I have friends, you know, I have a job. Where is there time for me to dedicate to my personal relationship with deity and I think the thing that is like such a bummer such a missed opportunity is that Mm -hmm. what that's what church is supposed to be supposed to be an opportunity for you to explore your spirituality with other people and I think that that's why the idea of going back to church is so hard and disappointing for me because I know what it could be and that it's not that I feel like it could be so easily, if we wanted to, an opportunity for us to explore our own spirituality by listening to other people explore their spirituality, and that it could really be this like amazing kind of, it could be such a better community Mm -hmm. than I feel like what I find now. Like we all just go and we're like, oh, I'm here because I'm, I'm doing the things and I don't want you to know about the things that I'm not doing, about the things that are going on in my life right now that are not going well. It's, I don't know, it just seems like this weird <laughs> club to go to 
it's like a support group without the support, you know? And it's it's just such a bummer for me. Yeah, even like even you know, like I mentioned before, like the ward that I went to, I felt like I felt at home and I felt like everybody was so great and loving and I didn't feel that intimidation that you know I would have felt anywhere else. But even then, you know, for the most part Latinos tend to be very open and just talk about everything and everything's out in the open. There was, yeah, you, you definitely just, there was a lot of help, like holding back. And I feel like I didn't always totally see like the most genuine parts of people. It was always just what they wanted to show at church. Right. Like there are definitely like families that I really admired yeah. because I just felt I was like, wow, like these people, like they have like a, a lot of faith and like their whole life. It's just very firmly planted in this and they're so exemplary. But then I think back and I'm like, sometimes they would say some really bigoted things (laughs) because at the same time that they were loving and great and accepting and they had this great faith, sometimes they would say things that were very against people of different faiths or people, I don't think it's a secret that you know, people of color can also be racist, but they would say sometimes things that just uh, really uncomfortable. And then I think there was just a lot of kind of hiding away. Uh, as I would observe the teenagers, I could tell they weren't comfortable. And I don't know, I feel like that age is so difficult already. I can't imagine what it's like to like grow up a member of the church and go through every stage of your life kind of like putting on a mask all the time. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And so I guess now I'm opening myself up to more of like the experience as a member of the church and the complexities of that. But there are times when I pull back from that and I see the bigger picture and I'm like, okay, that's great. Like the difficulties within the church and the culture, that's all stuff we got to explore. But looking at the bigger picture, being able to even be a member of the church, like a functioning member of the church is, like you said, it's such a privilege. What is it like for people who can't thrive within that environment? Mm-hmm. And to me, that becomes so much more important than the intricacies of protecting the image of what it's like to be a member of the church. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. And so in my own like little bubble of advocacy... A lot of times the things that I say are received as like anger or whatever, like being bitter or just just lacking faith or what have you. But it's because how much more important it is, again, to protect people that are marginalized, just as we are trying to do in the world at large. You know, why are we protecting the privilege? Mm-hmm. Why are we protecting the image of something that doesn't need to be protected. Like the church is speaks for itself. It doesn't need members protecting it. I don't know. I feel like there's too much there for me to like navigate, but I think, (laughs) I think I'm just trying to like make sense of the way in which I say things online. (laughs) Mm, Okay. I just want people to stop focusing on, and you know, for the most part, the friends that I have, that I have, retained that are members of the church they understand this now but I'm trying to figure out how to get to the people that are still in that little bubble of me and my church and my life within this and how do you 
help them see the bigger picture of that? That's a good question. And I don't know, because I, I think that maybe the difference here between like the world at large and asking people to question and examine their own privilege there, it's only beneficial to them because of the way that the world is going. Like, obviously we want equity. And part of that is the privileged people recognizing examining their privilege and doing better with that knowledge. But the thing that's tricky within the church is that I feel like even if you have no issues with doctrinal things, which I feel like is hard to also do that and question things, but even if you really still were like, yeah, like I think that, you know, the doctrine of it makes sense. It's right that to kind of pick apart or tear away parts of the way that church functions, both in the culture and in, I don't know, the structure. People are like, well, this is God's church. God organized it. So you shouldn't be questioning how God organized this church. Because if you're doing that, then that means that you're no longer with God. And I have to put my barrier out to you to keep from catching your illness. It's it's tricky because I feel like the way that things are framed so much of the time, it's that if you can't just accept everything the way that it is as it is now, it's because there are insidious mm-hmm. things at work. It's not it's not about I don't know, I just don't know if people in the church who feel like they fit squarely into how the church functions now if they care about helping marginalized people like I think it's just kind of I don't I I I don't know if they do yeah I hit a wall there and that's where you get super cynical because I'm like there isn't there has to be a fundamental change and we know that's not going to happen because the people that can that have the authority or you know the power to do anything of real substance they they have their narrative and they're stuck in that they are, you know, so just like in the real world, a lot of the change that people want is not going to happen unless there's fundamental changes to the way that, that the, that the world works. Mm -hmm. I don't know. There's, this is where I get really cynical because in my head, I'm thinking if an organization isn't working for all of its members, but at the same time, it's in some way coercing its members to work well within it. I say like, get rid of it. <laughs> it's not working. It's not right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have a really hard time, um, even within all the things that I'm constantly thinking about in my head, I have a hard time reconciling the foundational nature of this organization of the church and any real substantial change. I don't think, I'm, I'm not wording it right. But last time you kind of had mentioned that Cam was like, hey, why are people trying to fit into something that doesn't want them? Mm-hmm. And in terms of the church, oftentimes I think I would love to see more people leave the church. <laughs> I would love to see... <laughs> I don't know. I get into this mindset where I'm just like, just, just leave. But that's, 
that's also hard because for a lot of people, this is their whole life. Just how it was hard for me, even just being a member for five years, it was hard for me to leave because I didn't want to give up. I didn't, I didn't want to like, just, you know, say, Hey, like it's not working for me. I guess I'll just go away. I can't imagine what it's like to not be, you know, to not be wanted by your own community. So like, you can't say that to people. Like that's not something that we should also we shouldn't also want that for people right that their only solution is to just leave as much as i have just very fundamental issues with the church that's also incredibly unfair and i think the other day i like made this like like connection i was like it's almost like how people tell anyone who you know disagrees with them politically if you don't like the way this country works and just leave right you're saying that you're okay with displacing and traumatizing people mm-hmm. just to protect your version of it. And that's, you know, I feel like we all have that. I, at least, I don't know about members of the church, obviously, but I feel like a lot of people who maybe are on the, on the fence or have left the church, we all have that same thought of like, well, being on the other side, like, hey, like maybe you should just come over here. It's like a lot easier to just be yourself. But unfortunately, that's also a really misguided view of it. Right. And I think exactly what you said is exactly what people within the church think about people who, well, I shouldn't say, I feel a lot of the time that people within the church, that's exactly how they feel about people who want to create change within the church. Like, they're like, this is how it is. If you don't like it, then it is. But I'm like, but if if that, and that's the thing, like, ugh. But it's just, if Jesus is really the center of this religion, why do we so often do exactly the opposite of what he would do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like the gospel should be very simple, right? And I think at its core, it is. Like, I feel like we complicate it to the nth degree. We complicate it. No, yeah, yeah. Just like the, just removing any, just removing the church and just having mm-hmm. like the gospel, it's, it's very simple. And even as someone like myself, who I don't necessarily know if I really believe in God or associate with that anymore, it's a very simple message and it's very easy to accept because it's, it's true and it's kind and you follow that and you're pretty much set to be like a decent person in life. <laughs> But yeah, it gets incredibly complicated within the structure of the church and the culture, which is real. It does exist. There is a church culture and the different policies and the different doctrine and the different levels of authority. I feel like there's this very benign picture painted of, well, every everyone that's a leader in this church, they're just normal people. They don't get paid for this. We know that it gets complicated once Mm -hmm. the higher up you get, whether that's true or not. But yeah, I just feel like, I don't know. I don't know what the solution would be. I would love to see members more radically choosing just to be more themselves within the structure of the church. And, you know, even like as small things as like, I remember people making such a big deal out of like wearing, like women wearing pants to church. But then that's where we draw another problem. People start acting out or acting differently than what is expected. And then you end up 
getting excommunicated or your whole faith is put into question. And to me, that all of that just that's not a good look, and that isn't indicative of an organization that is truly infused with the message of Jesus Christ. <laughs> mm-hmm. So me, mm-hmm. I'm just I have such a hard time accepting that that this church is as close to God as it wants to be. Yeah. <laughs> Your face. Well, it's just like, I don't know. I agree with that. I think that, uh, I, don't, I think there's so much about even the structure as it is that has potential, but just somewhere from general leadership to like local leadership, it all kind of like, gets really like I don't know I I get that like spirituality is hard especially when you're being like really personal about it Mm -hmm. and I can't imagine what it would be like to be I don't know like in local in local leadership I've never done that I mean I've been like a teacher which counts but not the same (laughs) but I don't know that you're really putting yourself out there being vulnerable to criticism and vulnerable to people having whatever opinions they're going to have about you. But I wish I wish that within the local leadership and the general leadership that there was just more vulnerability. Like I feel like so a big part of the reason why I think people see general leadership as infallible is because we hear these stories all the time or they tell stories about how I had this experience and I had this experience and then this like super spiritual thing happened to me and I'm just like super spiritual all the time. You can be like me too. All you have to do is read your scriptures and pray and go to church. But I just, (laughs) I, I just can't see that. Maybe that is real. If that's the truth, then like bummer because what the heck. Because we're because not all of us are going to be general leadership of the church, you know, you're like a white man. <laughs> you're never going to have that. <laughs> but it's like, but if I really feel like if if from the top down there was more of this just truth in this individual approach that I don't know. I just wish it could be more individual. It could be, I wish it could be more personal. Like I think the whole point of having local leadership is to foster an environment where you can take things on a case-by-case basis and take advice from the general leadership about general things. But when it comes to specific instances and specific people and their specific feelings and experiences, don't just slap a general sticker on it Mm -hmm. and say like, well, you should be doing this because generally that's what we're supposed to be doing. Yeah, because spirituality is so specific. It is so specific. It is so specific that I think that's where we get all messed up is that we're trying to apply very general principles to very specific situations. Yeah. And that that just makes for very easily sticky situations. Yeah. Yeah, I wish there was like an um, op, like a way to opt out of some policies. <laughs> Just be like, hey, I'm yeah. following the basic gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm still good here. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I think I think that's how it should be, though. And I think <laughs> and I think in the spirit of it, that is how it is. But so often, it's relayed to us 
in one form or another that there is a checklist that you have to follow. And if you're not hitting it exactly the way that it looks or the way that we've told you it is, then you don't get to have the benefits of this checklist all being checked off. But I think that there's, there's principles and doctrines, and then there's the spirit of the principles and the spirit of the doctrines. Mm -hmm. And like I said, like this is coming down from a general place where we should be able to apply them to ourselves more specifically. Well, when you mentioned like the checklist, this is the part that gets murky for me because I think, okay, the checklist is for what reason? Mostly to determine temple worthiness. Mm-hmm. Temple worthy, or the temple is associated with essentially eternity and what you get to have in the afterlife. And basically what you cultivate here, you get to take with you or you get to Mm -hmm. essentially have in the afterlife. And I think, so all the people that can't make that checklist because, you know, life is complex and complicated and people are vastly different. By default, not everybody is going to be able to enter the temple. Right. So it's already this like exclusive thing that only people who, who make this checklist and who can make the checklist because it's not, it's not that, easy it's not that black and white where you just do a few simple things and you're done it's a lot of them are actually tied to your identity and who you are and things that you can't control mm-hmm. <laughs> so for me in my cynical mind temple the temple is something for control mm. giving it like the benefit of the doubt i do believe that it is tied to it has a spiritual or like a scriptural context, temples. I do think that perhaps there is something to the work that is done in temples. But when it comes to convincing people that it's either they make they make it in this very rigid, basically, it's like you, once you have once you have to convince people to curate their entire life to fit into this tiny group of people that get to go in the temple mm-hmm. to me that becomes it becomes dark for me there because to me that's that's manipulation that's not I don't know I'm trying to see things in the context of the church and the gospel or the doctrine and then in the context of just how I see the world and what Things are evident to me in the world when an an organization demands this much of its members. Right. So, yeah, I don't know. I wonder, because in my experience, I was always just very pro-temple, and that was all I looked forward to. And essentially, for the last few years, I was just consistently, perpetually preparing to enter the temple, and I never felt worthy enough, even though I'm pretty sure I totally was. But I do think that there's, a large group or a large amount of members in the church that just live in this perpetual readiness for the temple and they can never get there mm-hmm. and not for any fault of their own. Just life is comp- it's more complicated than, than being worthy enough for the temple. You know what I mean? So right. I, I don't know where to place that in my mind. And yeah, I wish there wasn't such an emphasis on on that and like how you said previously if if it's basically canon that at some point in the afterlife people will have the choice 
whether to be with God or not, knowing the knowledge, and some people will still choose not to. Yeah, why are we doing that? Why are we putting all this pressure on members of the church? Like, where is where did that go wrong? <laughs> I don't know. Where did it go wrong? Because, yeah, I think I'd agree with you in that it, it should just be as simple as if you want to follow the gospel of Jesus Christ, you can be a member of this community and this network. Um, I do think the church really offers a generally pretty nice community. It's a worldwide church. You have contacts all over the place. Mm-hmm. You have this wide network of people that believe the same thing. I think it's it's just very sad to me that it becomes more complicated than that. And I don't really, I I can't really negotiate in my mind why that is. It doesn't really make sense. And I don't think it's worth it for a lot of people. Yeah. I don't know. I think that like, I don't know, you asked where, where did we go wrong on that? And I think a lot of it has to do with like when and where and by whom this church was founded and brought up by, you know, which before people like get crazy with me, I'm not saying like, he's not a prophet. I'm just mm-hmm. saying like, you have to think about white supremacy is such a huge thing in the United States. And the United States is where this church was founded. And mm-hmm. deep the in the American religion. Right. And like a deep okay. in a time where white supremacy reigned king, you know, it still does now, but even more so then. That it's like, yeah. <sighs> you know, all of the issues. That I, he- I always ask myself if it had been a person of color, mm. if Joseph Smith had been a person of color, there's no way this church would exist today. Yeah. I just think that it's important to look back at our, at the root of it that way, at our roots as like members of the church that... We can't ignore it, it. It just bothers me when people are like, well, it was just a different different time then. They were just a product of their time. I'm like, okay, yes. But then you're also admitting that even if you, even this if this, yeah, like even if this, um, if you subscribe to the idea that this church is run by God and we have this we have the gospel showing us what God wants from us through Jesus. And by saying like the prophets and the leadership and whoever was part of the church at that time, like they were just a a product of their time, like then yes, you're admitting that the church changes with the times and people hate it. Like when you say that, like the church is not just going to bend to whoever, whenever, wherever, but if we as people are the church and we're changing constantly and bettering ourselves, why is the church in quotation marks with a capital C not changing? Like, why is it so hard to comprehend the idea that like the church could change, that the structure could change if the structure is created by the people and the people are changing? Yeah. Ruth, print that on a (laughs) t-shirt and wear it to church every Sunday. (laughs) Just kidding. I don't know. Yeah, I think now now I'm more interested in, before I was like, maybe I should just leave the church alone. It's not my business anymore. I'm just going to live my 
weird little life outside the church, my real non-full life. <laughs> oh no, Leilani. Where I where I don't have the fullness of the <laughs> of happiness, and I just leave it alone. But it is the easiest thing to dismantle in my head, whereas the world is so overwhelming. But it's so easy to understand all of these things within this context. And members within the church are a lot of them are struggling, and it's like. Yeah, why not start these conversations? Like, I know nobody's listening to me. That That is probably important because a lot of the people that listen to me or follow me, by this point, all of the members that should be hearing these things probably have blocked me. Mm-hmm. But I guess it's it's been really nice to see people like you that have come around or people that other members that have reached out to me and said, hey, like, thanks for saying these things. Like, this is something that I'm trying to figure out myself where do I fit in all this and the answer is like I don't know like figure it out you're part of it (laughs) like I have such little reach now and that's just just how it is like I don't if I was still fighting to be in the church I wouldn't personally be able to maybe do all this Um, I just don't think that being a member of the church was sustainable for me personally in my mental health but for everyone else who's still there or who's still struggling or fighting, I think it's incredibly important to use your voice. Again, because it's just it's just there, it's accessible. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> not again in not like a shaming people <laughs> yeah. into doing it because again it's very personal, but yeah, I'm not like trying to say that I'm some kind of like leader or inspirational person. But I have seen a lot of my friends that are like, oh, hey, like, I hadn't thought about this. And then, like, months down the line, I see how they're living their life. And I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Like, you are being more inclusive. You are doing all these things. I just think the more that we speak up, the more people will be exposed to these conversations. And at some point, it'll click in their head, and they may want to delve deeper. And at the end of the day... I just want more more and more people to be relieved of their stuff and their suffering and their struggle of trying to fit into something that wasn't meant for everyone to fit into. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's, I don't know. And for anyone who is ever like, why do you even try? Or like, Leilani, why are you still talking about this stuff? Like, you're not even a member of the church anymore. But it's like, (laughs) this is the reason why. Because there's so many people that I love that are still part of it. And I know that there's so many other people that I don't even know that are going to be reached by it. And that are going to identify with some part of it. That I think is just so important for, like, even if I choose not to continue this, not to continue attending church it's still important to me to know that like the people that i love that still choose to subscribe to that faith system that belief system that that they're not being that they're not blocking themselves off to what it really is to love other people and what it really is to be a disciple of christ Because Mm -hmm. Christ was not about exclusivity. Christ was not about these people get this, but you don't because there's a a system of levels that you're not going to get to. I just think that 
Well, just, I just think that like, as if we are, if that is our goal to be disciples of Christ, that as disciples of Christ, it's our job to be inclusive and not exclusive. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Why is that so hard? <laughs> I didn't know. Uh, like having said all that, I feel like I always have a problem when I, and my, I myself end up falling back into like, well, members have the job, like it's members jobs to enact this kind of change within the church, even within their own words and congregations to change the culture up. Because then I think, but there's still a leadership high above that isn't inclusive at all. I know there's like people of color in the seventies, but the the newest no variety. (laughs) The newest apostles, um, one is Asian and the other one is from Brazil. Okay, but I didn't know that. it's representation, but it's also like a teensy tiny bit a of representation. Bit. Yeah, well, as much as this is a spiritual church, a church rooted in godliness and things beyond this world, it is still a church within the world, mm-hmm. and I really don't doubt that leaders are listening. Yeah. So, yeah, it's incredibly important to demand change from leadership. You know, in my head, that's easy to say. And in the member's head, it's like, well, but the leadership does what God wants. But we've seen time and time again that things can change and that God is also listening. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we, there should be some pressure. There should be, there, members should be able to pressure leadership to pray to God about the things that are important to this day. Yep. And I don't want to hear anything about how, Oh, they're just men. They're just people too. And it's like, well, when it's convenient, they're just men and mm-hmm. they're just people too. Mm-hmm. But when it's, when it's convenient, they're also, you know, the mouthpiece of God. Untouchable. And aren't they supposed to be empowered and enabled by their faith? <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's where I stand now. I'm trying to find this balance between re- retaining my cynical self and questioning, even though it doesn't affect me personally anymore. I think it's incredibly important that I have the perspective outside the church and then inside the church and then outside the church again. Mm-hmm. I don't want to waste that. Like, if anything, the experiences that I had, um, I want to put them to good use. I don't want them to just sit in the back of my mind it's incredibly healing for me to think about these things give myself the space to think about these things when I can but I think yeah I just feel like I need to use it for something and to help potentially other people to also start thinking about these things a little bit more critically Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that if there is a God that he would want us to do just that that's kind of where I am now (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate you talking to me about this stuff. I know that it's like kind of can be a weird thing, especially when you know like other people are going to hear it and oh, all the yeah. things. But so, thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for <laughs> doing it. I was really excited when you said that you would because for me, you have been like very instrumental in this journey of like figuring out where to go next and how to do and what to do. Um, 
so I'm grateful for your influence in my life. And I am excited for other people to hear what you have to say and that hopefully they can kind of take a minute to open up and unblock and hear that from you too, because I think that there's just so much, I don't know, you always give me a lot to think about. So thank you. Thanks. Oh, and just so I, we don't leave this conversation on a nice, happy, bright side, (laughs) (laughs) because that would be so unlike me. Um, I need to think of something really negative to say. (laughs) I'm just kidding. No, yeah. There isn't a nice bow at the end of this podcast episode, even if you think you saw one. (laughs) It does not exist. It does not exist. Well, there you have it, you guys. A conversation with Leilani. I hope that you were able to come from a place of understanding and not feel like you're beliefs or your person is being attacked it's it's just about being able to push through on our own experiences and try to see it from someone else's perspective and i hope that we were able to bring you something to think about in this episode so thank you for sticking around and for listening well you bye